Hello everyone and a good Sunday morning to you. We are beginning a new series at Sunday School and it's a joy and a privilege to be able to share from the Word of God again this morning. Uh, we are going to be looking at a three-part series on the Holy Spirit at Sunday School and uh, it's going to be recorded on Zoom and I'd like to thank Phil Mikeley at the outset for helping me uh, navigate Zoom and learning how to record things on it. You know, this year, as you look back on it, has been a really unusual and strange and year with unprecedented things going around in this country and around the globe. Uh, we've had this pandemic that's been going on for many months now and uh, seems to be on the rise again. We have an election uh, which is over and the results of which are still kind of being contested, I guess. Uh, for us as a family, it's been a very trying year. And in spite of all of that, uh, one thing we know for certain is that our sovereign God is in control of everything. And as believers, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who can bring us his peace continually through all circumstances, through every difficulty. And uh, just uh, we thank and praise the Lord for that. As I was thinking about this topic, you know, we are perhaps more familiar with God the Father and his love for us and with the Lord Jesus Christ as we remember his work every Sunday at the Lord's table. Uh, and we also know that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. And yet, uh, looking back over the past many couple decades, or almost three decades, I don't think we have studied the Holy Spirit himself as a person. Uh, we've studied the gifts of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts that he gives. We've studied the fruit of the Spirit. But uh, I think maybe one time Dave Glock has done a series on the Holy Spirit. But other than that, I'm not sure that we really studied this. And so it's been on my heart for a while now to do this. And so we will be doing that over the next three Sundays and uh, recorded on Zoom. Uh, the format is going to be, uh, I'm going to, uh, each Sunday, I'll, I'll begin with a set of questions. And then as we go through the answers to that, I think uh, the uh, study on the Spirit will come out. In this uh, first session of questions to consider, I'm going to ask right at the beginning is, why is a Spirit-filled life important for the believer? Now, if you were asked, who is the Holy Spirit? Is, a, is he a person, a force, or a manifestation? How would you answer that and show that from Scripture? Does Scripture clearly show us that the Holy Spirit is God? And what do the various representations or types of the Holy Spirit in Scripture reveal about his nature? And we're going to consider that in this first uh, session this morning. Uh, and I'll just kind of outline that. You know, why we need the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit the deity of the Holy Spirit and representation and types of the Holy Spirit. In the next couple of Sundays, I'll just very quickly go over the outline of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. How does that differ from uh, his presence in New Testament saints in creation, revelation, inspiration, and in people? The Spirit's ministry to our Lord in the Gospels, that's recorded for us in Scripture. The Holy Spirit and salvation and three of the elements that we're going to talk God willing, next Sunday is a regeneration by the Holy Spirit, baptism by the, of the Holy Spirit, and the sealing or sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
And in the final session, really on the life of the believer, the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer, the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, his power in us, his abiding presence, his role in prayer, fruit of the Spirit, reproducing Christ's character in us, spiritual gifts. I'm not going to dwell too long on the fruit of the Spirit and gifts that the Spirit gives. We'll just talk in general about that because we've already covered that at Sunday School uh, in quite detail. Anointing and filling of the Holy Spirit, the grieving and quenching of the Holy Spirit and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit in summary at the end of the third session. So before we begin this morning, let's just commit this time to the Lord. Our God and Father, we just thank you for the uh, uh, free opportunity we have to open your word this morning. Pray that you would speak to us from your word and through your spirit. Thank you for the fact that the word brings life. And we just pray that as we consider the Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be stirred to desire that spiritual life that you want us to have. So we just commit this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The spiritual power or the spirit-filled life. You know, you could define or a Christian as one who has received Jesus Christ as his or her savior. One who has received Jesus Christ or his or her savior, whether that happened as a child, whether that happened as an adult, or it even happened on someone's deathbed. Now, a spiritual Christian is one who displays Christ living through his or her life, and that is accomplished only by the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. A spiritual Christian is one who displays Christ living through his or her life, and that is accomplished only by the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, just some things that a spiritual life is not. A spiritual life is not necessarily or usually the miraculous or the spectacular. Uh, let me go back to that. Uh, but rather the consistent exhibition of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus. So it's not necessarily something miraculous and spectacular that happens all the time, but rather the consistent exhibition of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus in the believer's life. Uh, I think I've shared this example in, in Daily Bread many years ago. There was a little snippet about uh, a street outside of London called Godly Man Street, G-O-D-L-I-M-A-N, Godly Man Street. And uh, the history behind that is that before London became the city that it is today and was a smaller place, uh, people used to get directions. And one of the directions in that neighborhood was when people asked for directions, they would say, oh, it's the street where the godly man lives. It's the street where the godly man lives. And so that street came to be known as the godly man street. And so that that is the spiritual life, the consistent exhibition of the characteristics of the Lord Jesus in the believer's life that people around that person recognized and were able to talk about it. Secondly, the spiritual life or the spiritual life is not based on emotions, although you're likely to uh, feel various emotions as the spirit works in and through you. And thirdly, the spiritual life is also not something we can study from afar. Uh, we are talking about reflecting on the Holy Spirit, but the spiritual life is experienced and often through difficult circumstances and as the Lord takes you through that. But the spiritual life is marked by purpose, power, and effectiveness. It's not something that you do, but something that you are. 
because of who is living and working in and through you. Now, I'll say there's many Christians, uh, especially in the Western world, many Christians and, and in the world across uh, content to lead an adequate, quotes, adequate Christian life. What's that? Well, more often than not, they go to church. More often than not, they read their Bibles. More often than not, they pray. Uh, they might volunteer at church for some special project and even uh, serve on boards at the church or and uh, do things, uh, charitable things, and they uh, are content with that. Let me challenge you this morning. God doesn't call us anywhere in Scripture to lead an adequate Christian life. God doesn't call us to lead an adequate Christian life, but to an abundant life. John 10, verse 10, I'm come that you might have life and life abundantly. He desires to have a daily walking and talking experience with you in which you experience his presence, trust him for wisdom, for courage and strength, and rely on him for results. In other words, the spirit-filled life. So as uh, we go through this study, just two questions. When you hear the phrase, the spiritual life, we've seen what it's not and what it is. And uh, a practical application, am I, are you open to knowing and experiencing more of the Holy Spirit in your life? I trust that you are. And as we go through this, that you would want that for each one of you. Uh, and uh, pray that the Lord would grant that. Now, who exactly is the Holy Spirit, he or it? You know, the uh, truth of the personality or the personhood of the Holy Spirit is a, fu is a fundamental importance to the believer. Even among believers, there are some who have this concept of the Holy Spirit as some kind of a force. For those of you who are sci-fi, science fiction fans, and the Star Wars series is a kind of the may the force be with you, we have this idea that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. Now, over the centuries, many groups have denied his personality and deity. Some who deny his distinct personality use the term personification of God. That's not the same. The Holy Spirit is not a personification of God. He is a person, the third person in the Trinity. Now, why do we say that? Well, the, firstly, the Holy Spirit has the attributes of personality. The Holy Spirit has the attributes of personality. Now, personality is often described simply as possessing three things. as possessing intellect, emotions or sensibility, and will. Again, that's three things, intellect, emotions or sensibility, and will. You know, when you go to a website and you have one of these buttons that you click uh, and it says, I'm not a robot, and then it brings up a series of images to try to gauge if you're a person and not a robot. Basically, it's ask, it's seeing if you have intellect. You have to choose from those pictures. And then you have to uh, uh, consciously click on some of them. Uh, so it's your will that's being exercised. So at least two of those aspects in, in that little uh, test that you do on a website. Now, what about the Holy Spirit? Well, first, the Holy Spirit has intellect, being God. First Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 11. Uh, says the Holy Spirit knows and searches the things of God. Romans 8, verse 27 says the Holy Spirit has a possess the mind of the Spirit is described in Romans 8, 27. What about emotions or sensibility? Ephesians 4, verse 30 tells us the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. 
then uh, Paul asked the believers in Rome to pray with him and for him on the love of the Spirit, the love of the Spirit. Thirdly, what about will? Well, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. We know that, don't we? 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those passages on spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit gives those gifts according to his will. In Acts 16, we see that the Holy Spirit uh, directed the activities of God's servants. He forbade, forbid Paul to preach in Asia and Bithynia, and then he led Paul through the vision of the man from Macedonia. So the Holy Spirit has all the attributes of personality, intellect, emotion, and will. The Holy Spirit also performs the actions of personality. Now, actions that are attributed to the Holy, to the Holy Script, Spirit in Scripture cannot be attributed to just a mere force or influence. Such actions are those of a person and proving personality. What are some of those actions? Well, the Spirit teaches. John 14, verse 26. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit testifies or witnesses. John 15, 26. The Spirit of truth will bear witness of me. The Holy Spirit convicts or convinces. John 16, verses 7 and 8. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin. The Holy Spirit guides, Romans 8, 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In Genesis 6, verse 3, right in the opening chapters of Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit is a restraining force. The Holy Spirit commands and directs. Acts chapter 8 is where he directs Philip in his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, Romans verse 8, 26, chapter 8, verse 26. So the Holy Spirit performs the actions of personality. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit receives the ascriptions of personality. The Holy Spirit receives the ascriptions of personality. What does that mean? Well, that certain actions that are performed towards the Holy Spirit would make no sense unless the Holy Spirit was a true person. Let me say that again. Certain actions that are performed towards the Holy Spirit would make no sense if it was just a force and not a person. Acts 10 was 19 through 21. The Spirit can be obeyed. The Spirit can be obeyed. Peter, in response to the Holy Spirit, goes out to meet Cornelius, the people sent by Cornelius. In Acts chapter 5, verse 3, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. We see that with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Uh, a person can be resisted. In Acts 7.51, uh, Stephen speaking to the Jewish crowd gathered there, uh, refers to them as a stiff-necked people that always resisted the Holy Spirit. And we had already looked at Ephesians uh, 4, verse 30, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. So three things, the Holy Spirit has the attributes of personality, performs the actions of personality, and receives the ascriptions of personality. So what are the ramifications of the truth of the personality of the Holy Spirit? Well, since the Holy Spirit is a person, a personality, and has a personality, we should expect him to relate to other persons as a separate and identifiable personality, a separate person in the Trinity. And that is what scripture shows us. In Acts 15, verse 28, in the Jerusalem Council, it states this, for it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. So clearly identifying a person and the apostles as they were 
coming to that conclusion at the Jerusalem Council. The Lord Jesus Christ in John 16, 14 says, He, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Jesus clearly distinguishes the Holy Spirit as a separate person from himself. In Matthew 28, 19, when uh, you have the Great Commission, it's uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three separate entities, three separate persons of the Trinity are mentioned there. And in the benediction at the end of Second Corinthians, uh, Paul writes, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Again, three separate persons. So the Holy Spirit as a person is not a personification and not a force but a person. What, again, what are the ramifications of the personality of the Holy Spirit in relationship to believers? Charles Ryrie, the uh, theologian from, I think he passed away last year at uh, for a long time at Dallas Theological Seminary, writes this. He says, if the Holy Spirit is merely a mysterious power, then I cannot know and understand him. But since he is a person and since he is God, and since he has been revealed to us in scripture, then my dealings with the Holy Spirit are with a divine person whose activities and expectations for me are clear. My dealings with the Holy Spirit are with a divine person whose activities and expectations for me are clear. The Psalmist in Psalm 139 says, where can I go for your spirit? Go from your spirit. The answer is nowhere. He is always with us. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Next, uh, the deity of the Holy Spirit, God or ghost, the deity of the Holy Spirit. Not only is the Holy Spirit a person, he is a unique person because he is God. If the deity of the Holy Spirit is denied, as Arius did in the fourth century in Arianism, then he is, if he is not God, then he is considered merely a force or a created being. So what does scripture tell us about the Holy Spirit and what are proofs of his deity? Firstly, the names or appellations of the Holy Spirit. The fact that the Holy Spirit bears divine names in scripture is a proof of his deity. 16 times he is related by name to the other two persons of the Trinity. In 1 Corinthians 6 11, he is called the Spirit of our God. In Acts 16, verse 7, in the Greek text, he is called the Spirit of Jesus. In addition to that, he is also identified with the works of deity. In Romans 8, verse 15, he is called the Spirit of adoption, indicating that he plays a part in the adoption of the believer into the family of God. In John 14, verse 16, where Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another helper, the word that's used for another literally means another of the same kind. Jesus referring to him of the same nature as God. So these names of the Spirit reveal him as equal in name, in power, and in nature with the Father and the Son. What about, again, other aspects of the deity of the Holy Spirit? attributes of the Holy Spirit. And we've studied the attributes of God and some of his uh, His grace, his love, his sovereignty, his justice uh, at previous times. What about the attributes of the Holy Spirit that show that he is God that are revealed to us in scripture? 
Well, firstly, omniscience. First Corinthians 2, verses 11 and 12 says this, Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. So the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God, because he is God. Omniscience. What about omnipresence? The psalmist again in Psalm 139, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the highest heaven, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. The answer is nowhere. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. And what about omnipotence? Job 33, verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of all the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God has made me. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. So the Spirit is also said to be truth. In 1 John 5, 6, it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit in Romans 8, verse 2, is also said to be a giver of resurrection life. Romans 8, verse 2, he is the Spirit of life who will give life to our mortal bodies at the resurrection. Only deity can impart that kind of life. So he said to not only the names and appellations of the Holy Spirit are those of God, the attributes of the Holy Spirit are those of God. What about the actions of the Holy Spirit? Many of the works of the Holy Spirit recorded for us in Scripture are only those that can be performed by God himself. Such actions would therefore demonstrate the deity of the Holy Spirit. Firstly, the act of creation. Right in the opening verses of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that God is the plural Elohim. But then in verse 2, it says, the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And from the New Testament names of the Spirit, we know that this is the Holy Spirit who is present at creation. Some other passages that link creation to the Holy Spirit are Job 26, verse 13. I don't have it listed on the PowerPoint here, but Job 26, verse 13, Psalm 33, verse 6, and Psalm 104, verse 30. The act of inspiration, 2 Peter 1.21 tells us, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. That the work of scripture is never ascribed to man. It is from God. Thirdly, the act of incarnation, Luke 1.35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child sh shall be called the Son of God. The act of incarnation was by and through the Holy Spirit. So the act of creation, the act of inspiration, the act of incarnation, all distinctly works of God and indicate the deity of the Holy Spirit. Other works that are attributed to the Holy Spirit can also be absolutely only performed by God himself. The regeneration, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. So the deity of the Holy Spirit his names, his attributes, his actions. Represent, before we get to that, uh, 
and I'll just like to read something from Charles Ryrie again. He says this, even though in our thinking, the Holy Spirit is not like a father figure, like God, nor did he become incarnate as the son, yet he is a real person and an equal person in the Godhead. And this is the person whose ministries are so prominent, especially for us in the church age as believers. And we'll be looking at that in the third series at this Sunday School series. So uh, just the last section for uh, today is representation and types of the Holy Spirit, representations and types of the Holy Spirit. And I think as we look at some of the illustrations of types of the Holy Spirit, we get a further insight into the nature of the Spirit. What is a type? A type is a divinely purposed illustration that prefigures its corresponding reality. So it's a divinely purposed illustration that uh, reflects its corresponding reality in the New Testament. Examples of types in the Old Testament are the tabernacle, Israel's experiences in the wilderness. Now there are, in contrast to a, a true type, there are other events and circumstances and happenings that take place that seem similar to those experienced by the Lord and can be a good illustration, but are not specifically mentioned as types of Christ. For example, uh, if you think of Joseph, Joseph was rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, was uh, treated badly till God, till Pharaoh lifted him up and made him uh, equal to Pharaoh and, and, uh, and gave him prominence and glory. Uh, just an illustration of what the Lord Jesus has gone through. But it, it's not really a true type as specifically mentioned in Scripture. But what are some of the illustrations of the Holy Spirit that we have given to us in Scripture? If you think about it, and as uh, perhaps the first one that would come to mind is the dove. And as we uh, think about the baptism of Jesus, uh, you remember the dove that came and descended on. All four, all four Gospels mention that at Christ's baptism, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and there was the affirmation from God the Father saying, this is my beloved son. Now, the Tao speaks of two, two aspects of the Holy Spirit. And what are they? They are purity and the heavenly origin. Matthew 10, verse 6, talks about the phrase innocent as doves or unmixed, uh, pure. Remember after the flood, when Noah sent out, he sent out the raven, and the raven never came back because it's a, it's a bird that feast, feasts on carrion, unlike the dove, which needed something pure. And the dove initially came back, but then went and brought a leaf. So... Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit speaking of purity, uh, sinless. And the heavenly origin, all the Gospels record that the dove descended from the open heavens. So two aspects of the Holy Spirit. Another aspect is fire. Fire in Acts 2 verse 3 at Pentecost. It was not fire itself, but if you read the scripture, it says, as cloven tongues, as of fire. Because they were divided or cloven tongues, they appeared as fire which shoots forth like tongues of flame. This symbol, which is described as fire, <clears throat> would have been very significant to those familiar with the Old Testament use of fire. In the Old Testament, fire was associated with the presence of God. In Exodus 3 verse 2, we see uh, the burning bush. <clears throat> In... Uh, Fire was also a seal of the approval of the Lord, Leviticus 9.24, in the sacrifices that were offered and accepted. Fire is also a symbol of protection and light. The uh, pillar of fire that uh, 
gave light to the Israelites and also protected them in their journey through the wilderness. And fire is a, a judging, sanctifying, and cleansing power of the Lord. Uh, Leviticus chapter 10, verse 2. And you also see that in Isaiah 6, in the vision that Isaiah has. And you see the burning coal that's placed on his lip, cleansing him. Another symbol is clothing. You may not think of that as, but Luke 24, verse 49 says, uh, he told, Christ told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem till they were clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. This emblem of clothing has four elements that tell us about the character of the Holy Spirit. What is it? First one is power. Why? Because the clothing was from God, from power, from on high. Secondly, protection, just as clothing protects us from the elements, the Holy Spirit protects those he covers and indwells. Third is a symbol of holiness. Again, it is from God. The Holy Spirit is God. And fourthly, belonging and representing God. Uh, you know, when you graduate from a school or college, you get to wear those robes and the hood and uh, th that represent the school. Uh, and... Uh, that you belong to that school, you're graduating out of that school. And uh, also as you go forth, you're as an ambassador for that school or college. So also with the Holy Spirit, we uh, belong to him and we represent him and represent God in this world that we live in. Another symbol is oil. Uh, in Luke 4.18, Acts 10, 2 Corinthians 1.21, you know, oil is a type of the Holy Spirit because it's of its divinely purpose used in the Old Testament. Why do I say that? You see the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in preparation for ministry of the New Testament believer is, is typified by the anointing with oil at the induction of priests for service. You read that in Exodus 40, verses 9 through 16, Leviticus 8, 30. The Holy Spirit is indispensable for fruitful ministry. Secondly, the only light in the tabernacle was uh, used, uh, was provided by the holy oil in the lampstand that lighted the place where God was worshipped. That foreshadows the work of Christ today, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit throws the spotlight on and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ in the eye of the believer. Oil was also used in the cleansing and sanctifying of priests and of lepers. Today, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the sanctifying work in a believer's life. So just some illustrations of the Holy Spirit that give us insight into his nature. A dove of purity and heavenly origin, fire, presence, approval, protection, and judging and sanctifying, clothing, providing power, protection, holiness, belonging and representing God, and oil used uh, in preparation for ministry and uh, the light that shed glorifying the Lord. Some other uh, types are the earnest or deposited, Ephesians 1, 14. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit of future promises made and of things to come. A seal, Ephesians 1, 13, implying ownership by God, security, and permanent guarantee. And we'll be looking at some of that in the uh, coming uh, sessions. Uh, wind. Wind is invisible. It, go, it go, blows where it needs to. John Jesus tells that to Nicodemus in John 3. You cannot control it. it, it work is powerful. Uh, think of hurricane winds. And then last symbol is water in John 4, speaking to the 
Samaritan woman, the eternal life that springs up abundant life overflowing, speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So in this first session, we've covered a lot the need or the importance of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life, proof of the uh, person and personality of the Holy Spirit, proofs from scripture of the deity of the Holy Spirit, and representations and types of the Holy Spirit from scripture that give us some better insight of the character of the Holy Spirit. So we asked those questions in, in the beginning of, of this session. So I trust if someone asks you if the Holy Spirit is a force or a person, you can give the right answer based on scripture. Or if someone says, I'm not convinced that the Holy Spirit is truly God, you can show them from scripture that he absolutely is God. In the coming sessions, we'll look at uh, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, what the Holy Spirit, what happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit at salvation, and then the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer over the next two sessions. But this morning, uh, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit. But you can do so even today. You see, God loves you and wants you to be saved, to live with him forever. A simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin and I need you. I know you paid the price for my sin on the cross and I want to receive you as Savior. If you do that, you will be saved. And the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about this morning will in indwell you permanently and will guide you in the truth. There is rejoicing in heaven over every soul that turns to the Lord. God willing, next session, we will study some more aspects of the Holy Spirit. But as we look on these, I trust it is a blessing as we consider the person of the Holy Spirit, the deity of the Holy Spirit, and his nature, and the fact that he does indwell us. What a privilege to be a believer and to know that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the many insights it gives us into your into your nature, into the nature of the Holy Spirit, that he is a person, he is God, and he is with us. Thank you for such a privilege we have. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us permanently and guarantees our eternal security in Christ. We just look forward to the day when we shall see you face to face. We just pray that this uh, study has been a blessing and that would speak to our hearts and that we would desire the spiritual life that we talked about, not just content with an adequate uh, Christian life, but that we would desire an abundant spiritual life that overflows with you, with joy that can only come from you. We just commit this to you and ask it in Jesus' precious name.